listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So I, I have all day, but so, so here's my thought, you know, so I've been thinking about this. I think the answer is incredibly simple. You want to know what the answer is? How much did you invest in marketing? It's more. <laughs> I have never met a client in my entire life where I was like, wow, you guys are over investing. That's never happened to me. So that's my answer. My answer is more. I think almost every firm systemically underinvests. So tell me more about that idea. <laughs> <laughs> that was the consensus of the thought. It was more of a joke. <laughs> but, but I bet you most marketers think that way. We need more. I mean, who doesn't want more? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would never put more into marketing until you've proven me what I'm spending works. Because okay, so here's my comment to that though. Well, here's my comment to that though, real quick. Before you go down the because path, here's the, and this is more of an interest comment, right? I hear that all the time, right? You prove to me that the investment I'm making in marketing is working. When's the last time you tried to prove the investment you're making in your partners? No one ever says, well, what's the ROI on the the practice leader? over there. Is he delivering return? I think firms spend egregiously on things that they truly believe in. So, I mean, they'll go out and acquire whole new businesses to access new geographies or disciplines, spending millions and millions of dollars with a sketchy idea of what the ROI is going to be on that. They'll hire people. They'll, they'll send partners across the country to open up new offices with you know limited input as to whether or not that's going to be successful and a sketchy idea of what the ROI is on that. But then... The marketing lead says, you know, I want to spend $20,000 on this leadership campaign and everybody hyperventilates and, you know, falls over backwards and it begs for ROI. So why did we demand ROI of marketing activities when we hardly demand ROI of anything else? There's no proven ROI on almost anything in these practices at all. But marketing's got to have a proven ROI. Why is that? Because we don't believe in it, right? I guess you could look at it this way. I feel like this kind of gets back to our earlier discussion about priorities. We do make our choices, even when we don't make our choices. And I think it also touches on some of the behavioral economics things that we've talked about as well. We have many different forms of biases that influences the decisions we we make around all of these firm decisions. So I don't argue with you. You know, you heard me talk about the BS of professional services. And how, you know, how organizational structure, competing incentives, and just the type of people that are attracted to professional services create really dysfunctional environments. So I would not argue that your point is not absolutely correct. But there's a, there's a big but at the end of that. But let's go back in this direction. <laughs> but I want to talk about our anyway. No, no, actually, I want to hear what you have to say, though. And I cut you off. You're about to say, I would not invest in our dollar in marketing unless these things were true. What are those things, actually? So, well, let me take a step back because I think yeah. you, you did pick up on a but. I think it's so easy in professional services firms to take the path of, of least resistance. And to kind of go with the flow, you know, this is kind of the culture. This person wields the power. If they want to invest this, they're going to invest it. And we've seen that everywhere. But it's particularly prevalent in professional services because so much of the the decision making is decentralized. 
you know, you get your budget allocated, you know, probably some percent of your overall contribution to revenue. Go spend this money however you want. And that money gets spent on legacy stuff. We've always done it. Or we're spending this money for this donation because they're a big client or whatever. So you get that kind of garbage marketing investment. And you can see that play out in any number of ways. But I think prudent leaders take a step back and they lead and they say, that may be the way you do it, but that's not the way I am doing it. And I think the best leaders introduce execution discipline. And they see this dysfunction going on in the firm, but they choose not to participate in it. And I don't know how many times I've said, whether it's after a geographical distribution or an industry or a line of business or corporate, I don't care what amount of money you give me, I am going to maximize it. And I prefer to say, hey, keep it flat, cut me back, you know. 10%. To me, that unleashes the creativity of, you know, a high performing marketing team. You find ways to have an impact no matter what uh, level of investment is. I think when you keep throwing money at stuff, the creativity goes, you know, out the window, you know, because it's easy. Oh, yeah, we'll go sponsor this event or yeah, we'll print this or we'll do that. And most of that stuff doesn't do any good. And normally those marketing dollars, you know, are going up and down, you know, from quarter to quarter or year to year. So they're really not sustaining anything. And I think it's, you know, the steady climb, you know, towards some kind of strategic metric that's measuring impact. So I just think, you know, I would not spend more until you've demonstrated the ROI. And with the tools, you know, that you and I use and any sophisticated marketer use, it's getting much easier to measure that. It takes time. Yeah. I mean, the, the only downside I see, the only downside I see to that whole discussion at times, now, now first off, some of the most successful leaders I've seen who have what I would consider to be high performance marketing programs. I'm not going to say teams because it's not necessarily the teams. It might just be the the firm itself is, is high performance from a marketing perspective. They care about outcomes, but they don't care necessarily about proving ROI because they just sort of believe, they just believe it works. Like, I know this works. I want the data to back it up, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to make the decisions around ROI. And now I lost my train of thought a little bit, but I, I think that what scares me about the ROI discussion a little bit is that, yeah, we have the tool sets to, in theory, track down to the individual content asset, improve its contribution to leads and however we want to look at it, right? But at the end of the day, you know, and I know that marketing is part art and part science. And when we try to measure every last detail, the art gets lost. And when the art gets comes with it. So if we want to hyper measure every last headline, every last subject line, every last detail of what we write, down to and, and optimize it to maximize everything it possibly can do for us somewhere in the boys there's a big idea and the big idea is is art 
And it kind of goes back to that behavioral economic stuff, right? That that idea of, well, so much of what thought leadership is, I, I think, is it's about finding a new way of looking at a problem that's been looked at so many times before, and then finding a compelling way to tell that so that people listen. I mean, behavioral economics is a thing, but it was a thing long before it was called behavioral economics. And then all of a sudden, when you categorize it and make sense of it and give give people something that's more contextually relevant, it probably blew up, right? Yes. I don't know. I'm not convinced that you you should necessarily hinge you know your entire investment decision on ROI. I think on some level, you just have to conceptually believe that we're headed in this direction. And if we don't have a unique point of view on what this practice means to our clients and, and discover our time, then we're not going to succeed, whether we have ROI to prove that to be true or not. And you, you, you got to fundamentally believe that, I think, on some level. My only other comment, I agree with so much of what you said. The only thing that does scare me a little bit for firms is if the message is, well, let's just starve it a little bit and then we'll unleash creativity. Well, I'm not so sure that that's a healthy cultural dynamic over the long haul. I mean, yes, there are pockets of time, you know, during a recessionary period where that certainly played out, right? When everyone was stretched and they sque- everyone sort of squeezed and then they found new ways to do things that they hadn't thought possible before. But I, I don't, I'm not cultural that I'm not really be squeezing, you know, just, just kind of like constantly squeeze every last inch, every last dollar out of that mechanism. I don't, I don't think that's a healthy dynamic. I think there's probably, it's maybe more like a pumping heart, right? You give it budget, you let it expand, you let it create value, and then you squeeze it a little bit to find new creativity. But I think if you're constantly squeezing, you know, you're just, you're just going to basically take the function and it's going to erode to nothing. Well, I think there's a healthy way of doing it. I don't know if that's what you're saying, though. Because, I mean, you know, it's it's not like an operational function. You look at like a retailer, right? You know, and, and the operational function of Walmart, the agenda forever has been to, to squeeze the supply base, right? So you're constantly looking for more efficiency. I don't think marketing is about creating more efficiency. Marketing should be about unlocking innovation and creating new top line revenue, right? And so if you're, you know, if you're constantly squeezing it, then you're not necessarily going to get to your desired outcome. I agree. But I think what you said. That's that big butt again. that's funny yeah maybe maybe just found my new nickname the end-all be-all is not allocating more budget until you've proven a return is not about efficiency about how you're able to spend that money in an efficient way in most of the marketing organizations that I've run in professional services firms, generally headcount is the biggest single line item for marketing, unless you're doing some yeah. you know, kind of grandiose events or you know, you've got a big media buy or something like that. The majority of this stuff is, is spent on, on bodies. And I think you have to have the right types of people on the team to really have, have an impact. So having said that, what I'm saying is the amount of money that you're going to spend on marketing needs to reflect what impact you're trying to have as a marketing organization. You've heard me talk about the two schools of marketing thought. You know, the productivity school is is that more traditional professional services where they're just focused on producing stuff. And I think... What you're describing in terms of more let the art flow 
could fall into the productivity school in a partner's mind. Where I come from the growth school, where I'm talking about and gearing toward strategic impact. So if you need to elevate brand relevance in a given market or around a given practice, that's going to require, by definition, time, money, effort, the thought leadership, the intellectual capital that's relevant to that market. Those things are quite measurable in my mind. Well, I I totally agree with you. Actually, I I would disagree with the comment that the art of marketing is part of productivity school. In fact, I would actually argue it's the exact opposite. Everything you just said, totally true, all measurable, but not until you've done it. So you're going to have to have the confidence to step up and say, well, we're going to make this strategic investment with no proof that it's going to work the first time we do it. Once we've done it, it's probably still not going to deliver the ROI we expected in the first pass. So now we're going to have to retrench ourselves and be confident that it's going to get the ROI we want in the end after we've done it for a little while. So I think that's where the art comes in. It's just saying like, you know, yeah, if you want to have that strategic impact, you know, if you've never done it before, there's no way you're going to have any idea what the ROI and that's going to be. And so it's it's a leap of faith. Well, fair enough. I I think any investment to some degree could be a leap of faith. Absolutely. Um, You know, anyone who's gone you know, through business school, who's discounting cash flows and doing net present values and any kind of scenario planning kind of gets that. Can I tell you a quick story about that real quick, by the way? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. This is actually a pretty funny story. So when I was in business school, the first thing we had to do was this deep and team-based analysis into whether or not Ford should acquire Jaguar. And they gave us all these spreadsheets and these tool sets. We split up into teams over three days and we had to basically crunch all these numbers and kind of come back and make a presentation to the CEO of Ford and a bunch of his senior executives. I mean, this is real life. They'd already made a decision about whether or not they should make this acquisition. Now, of course, you know, this is a, it's a business case, business school case. Anyway, you, know, you crunch it five ways from Sunday, every team in the room, and nobody can find any way that there is a positive NPV on this. Like there's just no way to look at this and be like, this is a good idea. Yet everybody's looking for ways to, to make the presentation that says they, they did because everyone knew that Ford bought Jaguar. So anyway, everyone goes and makes their presentation. The Ford CEO is like, oh, this is great. And then he basically, he goes on a riff and says, you know, we bought Jaguar because we wanted it. <laughs> they couldn't prove any positive NPV on the acquisition whatsoever. They just wanted the brand. They just wanted, they wanted the product, right? Mm-hmm. Same way. It was a leap of faith, right? It was was a gigantic multi-million dollar leap of faith, but it was a leap of faith that we can do something with this brand that we can't quantify on paper whatsoever. And I would argue that's a random side story, but I think that happens in business all the time. Yes. That's no different than partner hubris, right? Yeah. We talk about the fallacy of professional services productization, right? We had this one client who paid us to do this one project and it was a success. So let's turn it into a product and sell it to everybody, right? It always fails when that's the approach. And, you know, history has proven that Ford made a mistake with Jaguar. I mean, to me, it's just completely inconsistent with their brand. I mean, and that was just ego. I mean, I think the Ford executives are thinking they have brand envy, right? We want to be high quality or high prestige, not even high quality like Jaguar. So because they don't, getting back to what I was saying around brand relevance, 
they really don't have a relevant brand in the high-end car space. I think you and I are saying the same thing, Jason, but let me illustrate with an example and then you can beat up my thinking. And I and I do I do agree with you about the art of marketing because one of the key roles on high performance marketing team in my mind is the creative. And the creative is not about making things pretty. It's about making them understandable. It's about you know, nudging that idea to go back to our behavioral economics of nudging or knocking out of whack the way people look at something. So I'm all in on the art. So don't misconstrue me on that one. But let's just take a strategic impact that a firm wants that marketing can deliver. And let's use one that we've already kind of touched on, brand relevance. I would think most people don't even talk in terms of brand relevance. They talk about brand awareness or maybe brand preference, but they don't talk about the concept of brand relevance. So to me, relevance is one of the most important strategic measures of a firm's ability to produce revenue. Because if you have a core capability and you want to go after a given market, whether that's industry or firm size or geography, but your brand has no relevance there. People do not consider you as a viable solution. You are not going to perform in that market. Or if you are, it's going to be hand-to-hand combat, very slow, you know, through partners selling efforts. So if a firm were to establish brand relevance along one of those lines, industry, core capability, or geography as a strategic measure, and they want to invest in it, and they want to know the ROI. How would, how would you go about measuring that in a fair way? Would you say you can? I think you absolutely can. I would argue that 99% of the firms that I've dealt with don't care because the cost of measurement exceeds the benefit of knowing You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. And where is the expense of measurement in that? Well, you always got to field a survey and you almost always have to compensate the participants because if you're asking them to participate in a survey, that's really all about you. They're not going to do it unless you pay them. And then you're usually going to have to buy a list to access them because it doesn't do you a whole lot of good to do a brand study with only your known audience, right? Only the people in your database. You got to kind of slice beyond that, right? So you're going to have to go acquire people to talk to in one way, shape or form. So you add all those things together and, you know, usually it's not an inconsequential investment. I'm not saying it's, you know, $50,000, although it could be, but it's not $500 either. You know, so there's expense involved and most firms will just say, well, how often do you see a firm say, we want to increase brand relevance if that's the terminology they use, which I really like, but they have no baseline. They have no idea how relevant they are right now. And then you put in front of them, why don't we go measure that? 
nine times out of 10, or I should say 99 times out of a hundred, they don't want to, <laughs> hmm. um, they don't want to put the money there, especially smaller or mid-sized firms. They don't value that piece of data back to your point of, you know, where our priorities lie. Yeah. So I would say I could measure that brand relevance without spending one additional penny. Okay. How are you going to do that? I think there's a very straightforward way giving marketing technology. Any firm that has, you know, a decent level marketing automation system is going to be able to measure IP and domain presence on their website. And they'll be able to narrow that down to certain areas on the website. So if I wanted to build the relevance of a given industry, for example, or a core capability among a certain type of client, and most of these prospects are predefined, right? We're going after the Fortune 500 Pharma, or we're going after you know, automotive tier two OEMs. It's very easy to identify those companies and then set up the analytics and marketing automation about who's coming to the website. That's just a simple zero cost measure of how we're impacting around brand relevance. Now you might say, so to me, you would argue, well, that Target is coming to our website and looking at these pages around this topic that we've chosen to build demand around. We can cascade back from there very easily into what's driving those website visitors to the site. You know, are they coming through social? Are they coming through direct mail? Are they coming through organic search? And if so, where are they coming through? And we can even see how they're traveling through the website. And it's very easy to set a baseline on that, make investment, and then see what happens. Now, is that incredibly sophisticated? No, but it is a hell of a lot more sophisticated than most organizations can do. Well, it's better than nothing, certainly. I think there's instances where it probably totally works. Right. You know, where a firm is consistently developing high quality IP and self-publishing it on their web property and potential clients to it. Unfortunately, there's a lot of firms that don't fit those three priorities. Right. Or, or those uh, priorities, the wrong word, but those those three characteristics, you know, maybe they don't have substantive IP or maybe they're using less of a self-published strategy and more of an external published strategy. So there's, there's a lot of reasons that, that could create blocks. I don't want to tear down the idea because I think the idea is absolutely spot on, right? Is that, yeah, that's one way to look at, are we relevant? I think there could absolutely be totally relevant, but the data in that model wouldn't show it and you would have a blind spot. But that's true of any research, right? I mean, there's, there's no research. It's infallible. You know, the more I think about this dialogue, I personally think it's the wrong question. If a firm leader were to say to me, how much should we invest in marketing? I don't think it's the right question. Investing in. Because I think more often than not, whatever the investment is, it could be more, it could be less, whatever, but are they investing in the right things? And I think that's probably where mistake are more likely made than in setting the right budget level. Absolutely. Um, and I think that was the argument that I'm making in the optimal marketing organization. You really can't invest unless you know what you're trying to achieve and then very easy to invest. And I just don't think those questions ever get, they just don't get asked. 
can just imagine some marketer being asked that question and trying to answer it without asking a series of questions like you just did, right? Well, I don't know what you're trying to achieve. What's the starting point? What's the ending point? That's just it. But but here's what I want to say about the brand relevance example. (laughs) No, you were spot on. You started to identify the hurdles to the outcome where I think what needs to be done is you need to identify the outcome and work backwards and eliminate those hurdles. So you said you're not going to build brand relevance unless you have, you know, a clear intellectual capital agenda and thought leadership with a point of view that's going to get attention in a given market. Great. I I wouldn't argue that's exactly right. Well, if you have a culture that nobody produces that or they don't get rewarded for it or they don't think it's important, that's a different conversation to have with leadership versus that's not a that's not a marketing decision or discussion. That's a cultural one or that's a rewards based one. Now, it has tentacles into marketing because marketing should be driving the growth. But if marketing tries to spend money and hit that metric, but haven't addressed all the issues that you've talked about, then they're wasting money, right? So they shouldn't be spending the money until they've proven that they can get an ROI and they have a clear path to that ROI. Because if, if they just gave it more money, more money's not going to fix a culture that doesn't value thought leadership or doesn't reward it or doesn't hire people of a caliber that can actually develop it. More marketing money's not going to do any good. I'd say take that money that you were going to give me for marketing and raise the salary of the people that we're hiring or give it as a reward instead of giving it to marketing. Every firm I've ever been at, I was always willing to give, you know, 50 or 100 grand of my marketing budget to the consultant that put an article in HBR. I just take it here. I'll I'll give you $100,000 as a bonus. If you come up with a piece of thought leadership at the level of HBR. How often did you write that check? Never, never. That's just where the point is. Firms aren't necessarily inclined to do that. And I think that's a cultural dimension, right? But I mean, a good thought leader would say, I'll take that. That's gravy money. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you would do this, but but I think that it is the responsibility of the marketing department to give them a path to make that happen, though, to to help them develop the idea, to you know, to grease the the conversation with HBR to kind of create the situation for that to occur. Because I think the reality is the one criticism of that, of course, is that most of the subject matter experts wouldn't have the faintest clue where to start, even though they might have something really compelling to say. Or how to even approach it? Of course, you wouldn't do that. I mean, you you would have put them in a situation to be successful. But I bet that would be you know part of it, right? Is, is that I think marketing needs to enable that to happen, and the resources that enable great thought leadership to occur. So 
if I were to sum up this whole conversation, I'm going to do this real quick. It's just 5%, right? <laughs> no. How, how much should you invest in marketing? 5%. Oh, I, I, you shouldn't stop till you hit double digits. Okay, 12, 15, 20. <laughs> I think the conversation, I'll, I'll sum it up this way. One, marketing needs to lead, not follow, right? You need to think like a business person. Yep not like a traditional Marcom person and you need to lead and you need to address those operational issues that are getting in the way of strategic impact for marketing. And then I think the, the second is you have to be really clear about what is ROI and what are we trying to achieve? Because I think a firm can build brand relevance, take market share, increase the lifetime value of a given client. But all of those take time and they take some level of investment. And where you plot on that X and Y axis is going to dictate what your budget spend is. You can make things happen a lot faster with a lot more money or you can save money, but it possibly going to take longer and it's a trade-off and it has to be a long-term perspective. And most firms just think quarter to quarter, just what they need to hit their number to get their bonus. So really it's focus on your desired outcomes and then build the marketing plan around that. Yeah, it's that simple. All right, that simple and spend more. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.